right. Who has their Bibles today? Oh, I caught you off guard. I caught you off guard. Okay, we say word when I say that, okay? Who has their Bibles today? Amen, amen, amen. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And we are going to be doing a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John for the next several weeks, getting help from these first 18 verses of John's Gospel. And last week we got two pictures about who Jesus is, right? We got the picture that He is the eternal Word of God, and He's also the Creator of the universe. He's eternal God and Creator. And this week we're going to pick up where we left off. So let's come before the Lord and ask for some help as we get into the word and we lay hold of what we just sung about. Light of the world came down into darkness. Open my eyes that I might see, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great word. We thank you for the truth of the word of God and the hope that we have in your word, Lord, that your word is true and that your word is life-giving and that your word is inspired. It is from the Spirit. It is pointing to Jesus and it discloses the way of salvation for sinners. And Lord, we thank you that as we enter into the Advent season, as we prepare room in our hearts for Jesus, Lord, that, that when we get pictures of Jesus, we behold his glory and it produces faith in us. And so I pray, Father, would you work that in our hearts? Would you open our hearts to receive all that is in your son? Lord, help us by your spirit to apprehend the things that you have written so that we might believe in the son. And Father, wherever we are today, wherever we've come in, whether we're discouraged, whether we're just freshly crushed by loss, and discouragement in this season, and sometimes this season is sorrowful. Father, help us to see hope in the light of the world. May the rays of light shine in the darkness and overcome the darkness. And Father, may we get encouragement and help and stir us awake to the glory of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. So, We're going to learn in John's gospel that we desperately need the light of the world. We desperately need the light of God in Jesus Christ. Just as every night we're reminded when the sun goes down and we're in darkness, we long for the day to come. We long for the sun to rise. And the same is true spiritually, right? So that's a picture of what's going on in the world spiritually. The world is in darkness, and we need the light of the sun to shine. And John is going to help us get clear on what that is and what that looks like and God's plan to shine the light into the world. And I was thinking this week, like we we know. And our world knows that we're in darkness, right? When you look around we, we know that the world is in touch with the darkness going on, and you can see it expressed in our media, on our television programming, in the amount of self-help talk shows that come about every week. You can turn something on, and there's something from somebody telling us how to get help. When you go into the bookstore, the bookstore is filled, one of the greatest Sections in a bookstore is filled with self-help books. How can I fix myself? We're in touch with that in this world, right? The world understands something's wrong. It just doesn't know what to do about it. The world understands and, and we can see it play out on the stage of all of our lives and the lives of those around us and the lives of those across the globe. There would be no wars, no starvation, no sex trafficking. There would be no enslavement to pornography, no adultery in marriages if we were not broken. 
right? If we, don't, we didn't live in a broken world. So the Gospel of John helps us be reminded that we're broken people. We've got broken marriages sometimes, broken bodies, broken families, broken identities. We have to deal with darkness. And while the world goes to all the wrong places to try to find hope, they look in all the wrong places to try to find light. And all they find is darkness. More darkness, more slavery, more bondage, more empty promises. And the search is in vain. But we don't have to look any further than the opening chapter of the Gospel of John. John wants us to see glory right from the start. John wants us to see light coming into the darkness right from the start. John wants to help us get a picture of God's answer in this first 18 verses of the prologue that is, it's kind of like the, the, the preface or the preview or last week I said the movie trailer, right? So you're going to look at the movie trailer and you're going to see what the movie is about. And this movie trailer makes you want to see more. And so John is going to show us that the answer we need is the light of God coming down to save sinners. The light that overcomes the darkness. And that's what we all need most. We all need it. The world out there and the church in here. We need more light. We need to see Christ better, more clearly. And if you look in your own heart, a lot of times there's great discouragement, great dissatisfaction. And we're grasping. And John wants you to grasp the light. He wants you to grasp the life and he wants to grasp you to grasp the son of God who is the one who came to deal with our problem. So let's look at it in the first 13 verses and we're going to focus on verses 4 to 13. But I want to give us the context. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. And yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now there's a lot there. And so I want to give us a little roadmap for this message, right? We're going to see two pictures, two pictures of Christ. We're going to see one shining witness. And then we're going to see two responses. We're either going to reject the light or we're going to receive the light. And so if you were listening carefully, you probably saw that as we walk through it. So let's take those one at a time. Two pictures. Jesus is the light and he's the life. Let's see it one more time from verses four and five. Or actually we'll do four. In him was life and the life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then drop down to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John, right from the start, wants us to really get our hearts around ultimate origins. He wants us to see who this Jesus is. That's why we talked about the eternal God and the Creator last week. And this is going to pick up a, an aspect of the reality that Jesus is the Word who created all things, right? All things were made through Him and by Him was nothing made that was made. Or without Him was nothing made that was made. Jesus is the source of all life and all physical reality. And he's also the source of all spiritual life, right? And you can see that plainly in this passage, right? You can see him as the maker of all things. All things were made through him. And verse 4, in him was life. Have you thought about that? In him was life. That means the fact that you are alive is due to Jesus. The fact that there is life coursing through you is due to Jesus. The fact that there's life in this world, right? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit hovered, right? And then the Lord said, let there be light. And then the creation count unfolds. And living things are made by the very word of God because in him was life. Right? Far cry from what the evolutionists will tell us that the universe popped into existence out of nothing. Life appeared out of nothing and lightning struck some primordial soup and the building blocks of life began. No, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made through Him, and in Him was life. That's where life came from. The origin of the universe and life itself cries out for a Creator, and John in his Gospel is telling you it is Jesus. That's why He's glorious. So if He made the heavens and the earth and gives us life and sustains life, there's a great security in knowing that the maker of heaven and earth condescended to become flesh. Right? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 14 says, And we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is who Jesus is. Everything was made through Him and everything is sustained through Him. Last week I quoted Colossians 1.15 in following, and I think it's worth repeating. Let's just hear again who this Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. That's who comes to us at Christmas. That's who entered the world. That's what we're talking about when we say the light of the world has come, right? Into our darkness. Is it any wonder that the first three verses of Genesis remind us about the creative act of God's word speaking and the very first thing that was created was light? God said, let there be light, and there was light. And John is saying that light and that life is Jesus Christ. And it's not just physical. It's not just the physical bodies, right? We're going to get resurrected if we're in Christ. 
So God cares about your physical bodies. He cares about your health. He cares about your struggles. He cares about your pains. He cares about your chronic illnesses. Oh, but He cares about your soul. He cares about the animating spirit that is in you. The soul. We are a body-soul people and Jesus is the one who gives life to us physically and He's the one who can make us alive spiritually. Verse 4, In Him was life and the life was the light of men. In the Gospel of John, predominantly when you see the word life, it almost exclusively means eternal life. And John is kind of playing at this double entendre here. He's talking about life, linking it to creation from verse 3. And then he goes beyond that and starts talking about the light shining in the world and the light that overcomes the darkness, right? And before the, the end of this passage is over, he's saying stuff like, but to all who believe, who receive him, he gave the right to become uh, children of God who were born of God. This passage is heading to the spiritual life that we all need. It's heading to an answer for our darkness. It's heading to our greatest need in this world. We need the life of God inside of us. There's a reason when you were lost that you felt something was wrong in life that you felt unsatisfied, that you felt guilty, that you felt unclean, that you felt disconnected from purpose, right? The whole evolutionary agenda is to say we're a cosmic accident and we came from a puddle of slime. There's no real meaning to life when deep down we all know it's, tr it's not true, right? The truth is, life has meaning, and we don't find meaning until the life of God comes into us. The light has to shine in our darkness, open our eyes, then we see, and then we begin to live the way God intended us, as children of God. That's where this passage is heading. Eternal life, salvation, walking in the light. And the light shines in the darkness of our hearts. That's why verse 9 reminds us the true light, which is Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And what light does is it, it overcomes darkness, but it also shows us reality. And Jesus does both. He shows us our heart condition. He shows us the darkness within. That's why later in the gospel, it's going to say that men love darkness rather than light. And they don't come to the light lest their deeds be exposed. Why do you run from Jesus? Because you love your darkness. Why do you come to Jesus? Because you want to deal with your darkness. Why do you run from Jesus? Because we love our sin. Why do we come to Jesus? Because we want to desperately be rescued from our sin. So let's look briefly at the connection between life and salvation in the Gospel of John. So we're getting at this idea that Jesus is life and Jesus is light. Okay, John 5.25. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead, that's the spiritually dead, will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Do you see what's happening there? The Son has been granted to have life in Himself. And the way to get that life is to hear the voice of the Son of God in the Scriptures speaking to you about who He is 
and that you believe that He's the one sent to bring eternal life by the Father, when you believe that, you get life. You pass from death to life. You pass from bondage to sin to freedom in Christ. You pass from being alienated from God to becoming part of His family. And it only happens through faith in Jesus. But you must hear and you must open your eyes so that you see. And the Father has life in Himself and He's granted life in the Son. John 10.10 The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm life. I give abundant life. The devil, who's the thief, comes to steal, rob, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill you. He wants you dead and in hell under the judgment of God. Jesus came to bring life. Jesus came not just to bring life where you're kind of eking by, but abundant life that springs up within. That gives you peace even in hard times. That gives you purpose when there is no purpose without Him. That helps you rise above the lies that are in this world that will tell you that you're a grown-up germ. And say to you, you're made in the image of God and you were made for a relationship with God. And you will not truly be alive until you trust in the Son and experience His life. I don't often quote Braveheart, but he says, all men die, right? In that famous movie, all men die, but not every man truly lives. That's what Jesus is saying. Everybody's dead in their sins. And you're not going to truly live until you put your trust in the Son of God who's light and life. That's the testimony of this Gospel. That's the testimony of this prologue. This first 18 verses. And it's everywhere in the Gospel of John. Right? Look at, verse, or look at John 3.36. We'll put it up on the screen. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. I'll say that one more time. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We are so in darkness without Christ that God's wrath is rightly upon us. Every unbeliever in the world has the wrath of God upon him until he turns or she turns to Jesus Christ for rescue. How are you going to deal with your sin? You're not going to deal with it through self-help. You're not going to deal with it just trying for you to get better on your own. You need Jesus to intervene. You need the Son who has life in Himself to come into you and to give you the life you were meant for. And that's my question to us today. Even as believers, do we want this life? Do we long for more of Christ? Do we long for eternal life? Do we long for the kind of purpose and the kind of calling that Jesus is summoning in His people to walk in the abundant life that He provides that we were made for and that if we believe in the Son, we see life. Apart from Christ, the wrath of God remains on unbelievers in their unbelief. One more text, John 11, 25 and 26. John 11, 25 and 26 is a famous passage where Jesus says he's the resurrection and the life and bears witness to this reality. 
Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus says, just go on about your business. Don't worry about it. No, he says, do you believe? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus has life in him, the life that conquers death, the life that conquers sin, the life that deals with your alienation from God, the life that reconciles you to your maker, and he's offering that life to you in Christ. It puts verse 5 in context. The light shines in the darkness. This is back in chapter 1. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now the idea there is grasping. There's two ways to grasp, right? You can grasp with your mind or you can grasp something and, you know, try to overcome, overpower. And so when John is speaking, the light, that's Jesus, is shining in the darkness and the darkness can't grasp it with its mind. The dark, when we're in sin, we don't see Jesus as glorious. We don't see him as beautiful. We don't see him as life. We don't see him as light. We love our sin. We love our darkness. We can't comprehend it. But the darkness also will not overcome the light of Jesus Christ. No darkness in this world. No demonic darkness. No sin is too great in here, in this room, that Jesus cannot overcome it. That Jesus cannot deal with it. Some of you are in here and you're believing lies about who God is, about your need for Him, and about what to do about it. And nothing you have done cannot be redeemed in the One who is life and light. That's why He came to deal with your darkness. But you must come to the true light and see Him as the light of the world. That's the other picture, right? Jesus is life. Jesus is light. And he says, I am the light of the world. Think about it. It's like a flashlight, right? The room's in darkness until the flashlight gets turned on. And when we turn the light on, all of the darkness is cast off, right? And what's left is the little critters running around in the darkness, Right? You've ever turned a light on in a dark room and you saw what? Scurrying away as the light came. But little roaches or little bugs fleeing into more darkness. And when the light of Jesus comes, we have two things that go on in the soul. We can either run in our darkness like a cockroach. Or we can turn and embrace the light. Have you ever had your eyes shut so long that it was like when you opened them, it was hard to adjust to the light? At what point does the light come in? At what point does true light come in when you open your eyes? Does it come before you open your eyes? Or after you open your eyes? Perhaps you're in here today and you think salvation works like this. The light is just going to come through my eyelids. And Jesus is saying, open your eyes and look at me. Open your eyes and trust me. I'm the true light. And I've come into the world and I overcome darkness. And I can deal with your darkness. Faith is the opening of our eyes to see Jesus for who he is to see ourselves in light of the light of the world in our need and to come to him for rescue. Have you done that? Have you trusted him? Have you received him? Have you looked at him in that way? Consider John 319 
says something similar. Jesus says, in this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest their deeds should be exposed. Now there's some of the most sad, wicked, dark realities in these first few verses. Because the light does come. And the light has come. But the world did not know Him. And He came to His own people, the Jews, and His own people who were waiting for the Messiah, who were waiting for the King, who were waiting for somebody to come save them. When He came, they did not receive Him. But instead, most, the majority of people reject Jesus and run and scurry back into the darkness. And what a mistake it is to run into darkness to try to fix yourself and to fix your heart. John promises us so much more. Jesus is so much better. The light is so much more glorious. The light is so much more amazing. The light is so much more pure and unadulterated and life-giving and freeing and soul-stirring and heart-gripping and life-transforming. It's what we need. We need Christmas to break into our hearts afresh and say, glory, hallelujah. The Lord has come. Rather than fleeing back to our roach motels. Listen to the words of the famous 19th century preacher J.C. Ryle as he spoke about Jesus being the light of the world. I can't do better than this. Christ is to the souls of men what the sun is to the world. He's the center and source of all spiritual light, warmth, life, health, growth, beauty, fertility. Like the sun, he shines for the common benefit of all mankind, for high and for low, for rich and for poor, for Jew and for Greek. Like the sun, he is free to all. All may look at him and drink health out of his light. If millions of mankind were made enough to dwell in or were, were made to dwell in underground caves or to bandage their eyes, their darkness would be their own fault and not the fault of the sun. So likewise, if millions of men and women love their spiritual darkness rather than light, the blame must be laid on their own hearts and not in Christ because their foolish hearts were darkened. But whether men see it or not, Christ is the true Son and the light of the world. And there is no other light for sinners except the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, there is no greater rescuer than the one who is the light of the world, who is the Son. And may He draw you to Himself this Christmas season. May He draw you to Himself in the midst of discouragement. May He draw you to Himself in the midst of pain. May He draw you to Himself in His light in the midst of sorrow. May He draw you to Himself when you're afraid. May He draw you to Himself when you feel like living in sin. May He draw you to Himself so that you would see the sweet sunbeams breaking over you afresh. And like the plants of the earth, you would flourish and grow. That's what you were meant for. Okay, the points are going to get shorter. So point number one was two pictures, light and life in Christ. Point number two is we have a true witness to the light. Look at verse six. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to as a witness to bear witness about the light that all may believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So now we get introduced to John. And many of us might assume it's talking about the author of the gospel. But this is not 
John the Evangelist or John the Beloved. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is this sort of transitional figure in the New Testament. He represents the end of the Old Testament age. He, he represents the last Old Testament prophet and the pointing to the one who would come. The prophet of all prophets. The son of God. The king who would come like David. The one who would come as Messiah. The rescuer of Israel. And the, the one who would save the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And more than that, the one who would be light. To the Gentiles. John bears witness. His job is to point to Jesus as a witness, right? We see that right here in the, the, the verse 6. There was a man, he was sent from God. He was sent, set apart as a prophet from God. His name was John, verse 7, and he came as a witness. That's who John is. That's his mission, to be a witness for Jesus, right? Johnny Cash was the man in black. John the Baptist was the man sent from God to bear witness about Jesus, okay? That's who he is. That's his role. And as the chapter unfolds, we learn something about the identity because the verses I read, you still don't know it's John the Baptist. Look at verse 32. Just drop down a little bit in the chapter. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on Him. I myself did not know Him, but He who sent me to baptize with water, John the Baptist, said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus. Jesus brings the Spirit. Jesus baptizes with the Spirit. John baptizes with water. Jesus is greater than John. John is a witness to Jesus. That's who he is. Because his job was to point to Jesus Christ like a witness coming into a courtroom. You know what a witness is in a court of law? It's a witness presents evidence. A, a witness builds a case. A witness presents testimony to either verify some, something, cross-examine something. But when it comes to Jesus... John is bringing evidence about the identity of Jesus as the Messiah and the King and the Lord of all. What glorious things are afoot for the people of God. Is that not our message? Is that not our call? Is that not our task? Is that not the Christian mission to point to Jesus? Are we not called witnesses in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8? And they were told to wait for the Holy Spirit who would come on them with power so that they could be witnesses and bear witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So while John's unique prophetic witness was pointing forward, our witness is pointing back to what Jesus did. John was announcing his coming and preparing the way. He was saying, people get ready, Jesus is coming. We say, people get ready, Jesus has come. Prepare him room in your heart. The king has come. You can either reject him as Lord and perish forever, or you can receive him as your king and experience the joy of everlasting life and forgiveness of sins and the real life you were meant for. Beloved, don't settle for anything less than King Jesus. He's glorious. He's life-giving. He's hope-giving. And you can have more joy with Jesus than anywhere else in the world without him. You can have more help in a time of crisis with Jesus than anywhere else in the world without him. So John reminds us just what our role is. Verse 15 says it another way. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. 
So John is saying, listen, like Jesus outranks me. I'm like, you know, a sergeant. He's like the sergeant major. Okay. Like when Jesus comes, it's my time to decrease. He's going to increase. John's ministry was always deferential to Jesus. He was always submitting himself to the coming of Jesus. He was not about self-aggrandizement. He was not about his own uh, reputation. He was willing to be beheaded for the sake of Jesus. And that's exactly what would happen. And even when Jesus gets popularity and grows in the notice of the masses, John says to his disciples, he must increase and I must decrease. And I have seen and borne witness, verse 34 says, that this is the Son of God. Verse 29 says, the next day he saw uh, Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What's John's message but to point to the Lamb of God? What's John's message but to bear witness to the Son? What's John's message but to call people to repentance? In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1, we find out what he says in these same kind of scenarios. All of the Gospels have John prominently featured early on. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. People get ready. Jesus is coming. That's who he is. That's who he was. And that is our shared mission. We have the same goal that John the Baptist had. Look at it in verse 7. This is the Baptist's goal. That all might believe through him. What's he doing? He's bearing witness about the light. That all might believe through him. Is that your heart this Christmas? That people would believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ through your witness. That people would hear about Jesus through your witness and that they might believe. That people might hear as the gospel proclaimed and that they might believe. Is that on your prayer list? Are there people you're praying for by name? That they might believe based on the testimony of the witness of the church. Is it any wonder that we call evangelism witnessing? Because we're bearing witness to who Jesus is so that people might believe. That's a glorious, high calling. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain, right? That Jesus Christ is Lord. So John the Baptist's goal is the same goal of John the Evangelist. John chapter 20 and verse 31, he says, But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Have you done that yet? Have you received Jesus and experienced life in his name? Have you trusted Jesus? Have you laid hold of him? Have you opened your eyes and let his sunshine into your heart and save you? Well, we're going to see right now the remainder of the text briefly is all about two kinds of response. Verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And what happened? Yet the world did not know him. The maker of the universe came as the true light, and the world did not recognize him. Verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. 
But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So we see clearly there, you can either reject or receive. Let's just take each of those for a brief moment. The rejection of the Son of God is in verses 10 and 11. We see it there. It's probably the most ugly thing about this passage is that Jesus was forsaken. That Jesus' witness, that Jesus' coming was not received. Nobody rolled out the welcome mat for Jesus. Instead, they picked up stones to stone Him and they chased Him through 21 chapters until they crucified Him in the Gospel of John. Actually, He was crucified a little bit earlier. But that's what people did to Jesus. They didn't receive Him. They rejected Him. His own. Unless we forget the Apostle Paul was viciously persecuting the church initially. So I've got a lot of hope for people who reject Jesus. Because Jesus is able to take a rejecter and make him a receiver by grace. Maybe you're a rejecter in here today. Maybe you've heard a lot about Jesus. You've been raised in the church. You've been thinking a lot about these things your whole life. But you've not really thought about what it means to reject the Son of God. And we all know what rejection is like, right? We all know that experience. Maybe there's rejection experience when you're the last person picked on the team sporting event. Or when you, you muster up the courage to ask out a pretty girl and she says uh, no. Or when you are in the midst of marital strife and your, your spouse walks out on you and says it's over and you're rejected. Or maybe you set out to become class president and nobody voted for you. Rejection. We all know what it's like. It's a cold, alienating, brutal reality. But nothing compares to the rejection of the Son of God. When you spurn the love of God towards you, wrath awaits Righteous wrath, righteous indignation. That's why the verse I quoted earlier about coming to the Son and you have life. But those who don't believe on the Son, those who don't obey the Son, the wrath of God abides on them. This rejection is the most wicked thing that ever existed on the planet. To take God's love, God's redemptive love, and to throw it asunder, to stomp it under your feet, and to turn away from the living God as He reaches out to you and slap His hand like a drowning victim trying to bring down its rescuer. And I will have none of the rescue. That's what people do when they reject Christ. And you don't want that in your life. You don't want the wrath or the judgment that comes on those who do not lay hold of this Jesus. He's so much better. He's so much more glorious. We can reject Him, but we can also receive Him. And that's what verse 12 is all about. We're going to spend a, a whole week on this, so I'll just briefly read it and say a few things about it. Verse 12, but to all who did receive it. See the contrast there? There's a but. His own people reject, but to all who did receive Him. So not everybody rejects Jesus. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right, or the Greek word is also power. He gave the right or power to become children of God who were born not of blood. That's not of natural descent. You can't get saved by your parentage. Right? You can't get saved by your lineage. Not of the will of the flesh. You can't just say, oh, I'm just going to choose it of my own willpower and save myself. No. Nor of the will of man. No. You must be born of God. And it's the same thing as opening your eyes to let light in. 
If you refuse to open your eyes, light will not come in. But as you hear the message, as you hear the Son of God say, as you hear the good shepherd, the shepherd knows his sheep, and his sheep hear his voice, and they hear his call, and they come. That's what happens when the gospel of Jesus Christ is to proclaim. That's what happens when I share with you things like, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes on him, whoever believes, whoever receives, whoever trusts, whoever lays hold of him by faith, whoever opens their eyes to him and says, come, to, come into my life, I need you. They will be saved. They won't perish. That's John 3.16. Believing is receiving and receiving is believing. And what will we do today? If we're in Christ, glory in the miracle of new birth, glory in the miracle of resurrected life, glory in the miracle of the light and the life that is in Christ is now in you. And you have a job. You are a witness in this world, a shining light. These candles glow and represent something, a shining light. That's who you are. That's why Jesus can call us the light of the world. We aren't the light, but we're like lamps that carry the light out to the world. That's who you are, Christian. And if you're not in Christ, if you don't know if you're in Christ, if you're experiencing the conviction of sin and the lostness of being alienated from God, you can be rescued today. Stop resisting the hand of God on your heart and your life. And believe and receive the Son. Because in Him there's life. In Him there's abundant life. And forgiveness. And renewal. Let's come to the Lord. And pray. Father, we thank You for this great message. This great hope. We need it, Lord. We need the light of the world. We need the hope of the Gospel. We need the joy of the Scriptures. And the Scriptures bear witness to Jesus. John was a witness the scriptures bear witness. We bear witness. Father, help us to do that well this season. Draw many in to hear the message of the cross. D draw many in to hear about the crucified Savior who was risen from the dead to give life to the world, who came in as the light of the world. And Father, if there's some here today who just need to receive Jesus into their hearts, they just need to experience the forgiveness of God. They need to experience this life. Father, I pray that you would move on their hearts even now and that they would breathe within their soul. Lord, I'm letting the light in. Please save me. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Please make me new. I admit my sin. I admit I'm running. And I'm receiving Jesus as Lord. Come in and light up my life and send your spirit as a down payment for the salvation that is coming. Oh God, would you work that in the hearts of those who have yet to believe? Work it in their hearts this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.